This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter. We're going to do things a little bit differently this week. On Friday, Joe is coming in. We're going to do a preview of UFC 234. We're going to have a special guest, somebody who has previously faced Israel Adesanya. And he's going to talk a little bit about that matchup and some of the ways that Anderson Silva might find success against Israel Adesanya. Now, it seems like a foregone conclusion in a lot of people's minds that Israel Adesanya is going to defeat Anderson Silva pretty easily. Now, I'm not of that opinion, and I'll get a little bit more into that on Friday when I speak to uh, Joe in studio. Um, We're also looking to have Israel on the show uh, to discuss that upcoming matchup with the spider Anderson Silva. But really, you know, and I touched on this in an interview coming out, uh, you know, later on this show. Let me talk about who I'm going to have on. It's going to be Colby Covington, Justin Gaethje, and Edson Barboza. Pretty stacked show. Looking forward uh, to everybody hearing these interviews. I kept Colby Covington for way too much time because uh, I always like talking to him. But what I said to Edson Barboza is I feel like there's this kind of misnomer around Anderson Silva that he's completely washed because people look at his record in the last six, one, four, and one. One, four, and one. And that's now how Anderson Silva is identified. Anderson Silva is a guy who hasn't had a finish in, I think it's something like five years, whenever the the Stefan Bonner fight was. It might even be longer than that. But when people look at the one, four, and one, that's all they see. They don't see the circumstances that surround that. Now let's start from the very first of these six fights, and that's the, the first loss to Chris Weidman. That is a, a bad loss because he got caught, he got dropped, he got finished. It was the first time we've seen him get knocked out or really beaten in the octagon, not, not just knocked out, but beaten altogether in the UFC. So you look back at that fight, and that was kind of the first sign that Anderson's timing was starting to go a little bit. Either that or Weidman had prepared for the head movement and knew how to catch him uh, in that particular exchange. So that's a loss. That's a legit loss. He was the champion at the time. He was fighting the, the young up-and-comer on the block back then, Chris Weidman, a hungry, hungry fighter that had no losses, undefeated fighter, and that wasn't his day. That was Chris Weidman's day. And I honestly thought that Chris Weidman from there was going to be a dominant, dominant champion that few people were going to be able to beat. I mean, I looked at his combination of his striking, his groundwork, how good he was on the ground, his wrestling, his jiu-jitsu, um, and I didn't think anybody was going to be able to beat Chris Weidman, and that proved to not be true. But in that first fight, Chris Weidman was the better man. The rematch. Chris Weidman had won the first round. Second round, Anderson Silva throws a leg kick, and his leg basically snaps in half. One of the most gruesome injuries you'll ever see in the UFC. Leg looked like it was basically a piece of spaghetti. So that is a loss, sure. It was a checked kick. But when you look at that, it's it's not really... Like getting knocked out or getting subbed or, you know, a doctor stoppage in between rounds because you've taken a, a beating. That's a freak injury. You know, people say he checked the kick and that's how it happened, but kicks are checked all the time. That was a freak injury. And from there, he really wasn't the same. I mean, you, you saw that he wasn't uh, the same dynamic Anderson Silva, but at the same time, he was, I think, 39 years old when that happened. But let's look, to, look at what happened beyond that. So uh, from there... We have the, uh, I think the next fight was the one with Nick Diaz. Now let me just pull this up so I can be certain of it. So we had the uh, the two fights against Weidman. Yeah, then it was the fight against Nick Diaz, which he won. He won a unanimous decision. 
But the reason why that's not considered a win is because he tested positive for uh, performance-enhancing drugs, particularly Drostanolone and uh, Andro. Those are two bad, bad banned substances, and this was pre-USADA. So those were, uh, NA- NSAC busted him on a drug test, and, um, you know, had Diaz won that fight, it still would have been overturned because he tested positive for marijuana. So that's a no contest. But at the end of the day, if you go back and watch that, that's a win for Anderson Silva. Diaz fighting up a weight class, lots of volume in that fight, but Silva got the win. So you don't need to credit him with a win, but it, it, it still fits into the big picture of the narrative that I'm trying to build here. The next fight against Michael Bisping, unanimous decision in London, England. Now, this was a controversial win because if you go to the MMA decisions, let's take a look. I don't even know. I don't even know what how those at home scored that fight, but I'm going to take a look and just see what the, the ratio was for that particular one. Well, for some reason, it's not letting me pull up MMA decisions. So I don't know if they're down or what. I'm going to try it uh, on another resource here, but... What I'm trying to say is basically that was a really close fight that a lot of people thought Anderson won. And from there, Michael Bisping went on to become the UFC champion. Something that might have happened if it was Silva. You know, if Silva had won that fight, maybe he ends up fighting Luke Rockhold and catching him that day. Well, MMA Decisions is, uh, is down, so I'm not able to unfortunately find that out unless I can find the cached version of the page. But, um, uh, you know... Pretty much, that was one of those situations where it was a close, close decision. So let's see. Here's a cast version of the page. So the judges at home, yeah, it was it was split, mostly for Bisping. So most people thought Bisping won that fight, but a lot of people thought Silva won that fight. So it was just a very close fight is all I'm trying to get at. So that's, that's that loss. So now he's 0-3-1, according to what his official record is for those four fights. Won a really legit loss. Won a freak injury. One, a win that was overturned, and the other, a unanimous decision victory that a lot of people thought could have gone the other way. Then after that, the next fight is against Daniel Cormier, one of the best of all time, and Anderson Silva was coming off the couch. I mean, that was John Jones was pulled that week. They call Anderson. Anderson says, yeah, I'll do it. He, he, I think he weighed in at like 203, and that was like basically he wasn't in camp. He was facing a full training camp Daniel Cormier and he lost. Unanimous decision. Three rounds. I mean, that, that's not a, sh- a shocking result. It was a 30-27, 30-26 on some cards. Not a shocking result. You got to remember, this is a, like a 42-year-old Anderson Silva or 41-year-old Anderson Silva basically not in camp at all, fighting one of the best ever up a weight class. So th- now, again, 0-4-1 is his record. The next fight, Derek Brunson. A fight that really could have gone either way. Unanimous decision victory for Silva. All three judges gave it to him. A lot of people thought Brunson won that fight also. But a very close fight. What I'm saying is we're not seeing a situation like a Vitor Belfort where if you look at his his last little while, I mean, aside from that one win, I think it was over Lombard or Nate Marquardt, he was just getting smoked. Lost in the first round to Gastelum. Lost in the first round to Jacare. Lost in the second round to Musasi. First round lost to, uh, to Chris Weidman. Got a win over Dan Henderson, um, and then he got front kicked uh, into oblivion by Lyoto Machida. Like, those are bad, bad losses for a guy late in his career. A guy that was on the up, a guy that was jockeying for position and ended up getting a title shot against Weidman. Now, you know, was that the, uh, the Vitor Bel- USADA Vitor Belfort? No. But at the same time, he was a killer at that time, and he got the title shot. 
and then he started to lose in devastating fashion. Now, Silva hasn't lost really in devastating fashion. He had that one loss to Weidman. Again, he was the champion at the time, an un- unbeaten champion, 10 consecutive title defenses. All I'm trying to get at here is, if you look at the, the betting line on this fight, I think is like a 7-1 to one favorite. It's the most he's been favored against anybody. But Anderson Silva is the best opponent he's faced to date. It's not a walk in the park. That's all I'm saying. Am I saying Silva's going to win the fight? No, I'm not saying that by any means. I'm just saying it's a closer fight than, than many are indicating. So I think that uh, that's going to be an interesting one. And the reason why I say it's going to be interesting is not because it's going to be a barn burner. I think it could end up being a boring three-round fight where not a whole lot happens. Where, you know, they're kind of low output, trying to feel each other out for three rounds, and we don't see a whole lot. And if that's the case, then it's a decision. It's a coin flip decision. Now, if it ends up being like a kickboxing match, that's when things get interesting. Because I think Silva will be the bigger guy than Adesanya. Now, Adesanya, when he was kickboxing, was used to fighting in the 177-pound range. Silva has fought at light heavyweight a couple times, and aside from his loss to Cormier, won all those fights in the UFC. Against guys like Stefan Bonner, a former champion like Forrest Griffin. So I think he's going to be a pretty decent amount bigger than Adesanya, who usually walks into the cage at around 190 pounds, if that. Sometimes he weighs in at like 183 kind of thing. Silva, I think, when he walks into the cage on fight night, will be closer to 205. Now, I think Adesanya's got a speed advantage. I think Adesanya's got a timing advantage. I think Adesanya um, is the younger, fresher fighter, undefeated. But I just think that writing off Anderson Silva in this spot is, is foolish. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Again, I don't know who's going to win the fight. I don't really have a, a solid prediction of who's going to win and how. I think it could win, like, you know, Adesanya could win inside the distance. He could win by decision. Silva could win inside the decision. Inside the distance could win by decision. There's really no outcomes that are outside the realm of possibility, in my opinion. Whereas a lot of people think that this is going to be a walk in the park. Uh, a, a, a brisk jog towards a title shot for uh, Israel Adesanya. I'm just saying that might not be the case. So as I mentioned, our three guests on this show, Colby Covington, Justin Gaethje, Edson Barbosa. Gaethje and Barbosa are in Philadelphia today. Tickets are on sale for their uh, upcoming ESPN event. Covington is in Rhode Island and doing some training. But uh, I really uh, took a lot of Colby Covington's time because I'm, I'm very interested in what, where he's at right now, what his mindset is. I mean, basically, you know, I don't like to lobby on a fighter's behalf. But I think that the general consensus is it's pretty, he's, he's been given a, a raw deal. He was the interim champion. He won that in June. And they wanted him to turn it around shortly thereafter. Was it September between Woodley? I think it was September between Woodley and Till. So basically on like three months' notice, they wanted him to turn around fight for the championship. And he had an injury that UFC doctors said he, they couldn't approve him to participate in that fight. They couldn't clear him. So where do you go from there? Well, to me, I think it's fairly obvious that if you're going to rob the guy of a title shot and you're going to give it to Darren Till, that he absolutely has to be next in line. But unfortunately for... Colby Covington, seems like they've bypassed him once again. Not it seems like. I mean, the, the fight's booked. They've bypassed him again, and it's going to be Usman. And they, they're saying that they want him to fight one more time before he gets the title shot. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that uh, he's become something of a sympathetic figure as a result of this. 
because even though people don't necessarily align with his politics and align with his antics, they know that a promise is a promise. On several occasions, they've been saying, you know, he's next in line, he's next in line, and now basically he's uh, being left in the dust. He's going to have to face someone else, according to the UFC. And while that doesn't seem like a big deal, the amount of money he loses is big. Because if you're a, if you are an interim champion, you get a higher base pay, you get higher uh, pay for Reebok. Your Reebok um, pay is higher. You get I think you might get higher pay for your fulfilling your media obligations. I'm not 100 percent sure on that. But it, basically, he's gonna he's getting a lot less money if he fights again. Unless they say, listen, you know, we know we realize that we did you dirty. We're gonna pay you, but that usually doesn't happen. So to discuss this and much more, I'm now joined on the TSN MMA show by Colby Covington. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. Always pleased to be joined by Colby Covington. So you're in enemy territory right now. Rhode Island, the Democratic state, has been Democratic for uh, a very long time. They've only four four times voted in a Republican. So uh, how are you enjoying your time out there? Uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it. You know, I think... Uh... People are starting to accept me around this community now. You know, I've done a lot of help with the Brown wrestling team out here, and and you know, it's, it's a great city. You know, a lot of a lot of rich history here, and and I, I just love everything about it. You know, the infrastructure, just everything. You know, it's it's a good city and with a lot of good people in it. Is the weather bad compared to Florida? I guess it would be pretty cold out there. Oh yeah, of course. You know, it's a little cold, but uh, it's nice to see the seasons. You know, in South Florida, I'm always with all my my honeys on the beaches, so I forget that there's seasons in the world. But coming here for the winter, seeing feeling feeling seeing the cold is is a nice little change for me and just what I needed. Yeah, there's beaches out there, but you know that they're, they're probably not that active right now. No, I, I don't think there's probably one person on them. <laughs> so you're out at Brown University, just helping a lot of the students out in terms of the wrestling program, getting them prepared for uh, some qualifiers. Yeah, helping them get ready for the NCAA tournament. They got the the big NCAA Division One wrestling championships, which will happen uh, next month in uh, Pittsburgh. And uh, yeah, just helping them fine tune and get ready for that tournament. But also using it for myself to to kind of get away, to clear my mind, and and, and be around good people. You know, I I think it's important when, that you surround yourself with good people in life, and and that's how you build yourself up and uh, and become successful. And, and that's what a lot of these kids are. You know, these are Ivy League kids. These are the kids that are the, the cream of the crop as far as uh, as far as brains and wits and smarts go. You know, you can't get into Brown University unless you got like a 3.8 or 4.0 GPA. So, you know, it's good to be around these kids who are talented athletes, but they're also talented and, and smart as far as, uh, you know, the way they think and the way they go about their life. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you're wrestling against these kids that are so focused on wrestling, I mean, they're all they do is wrestling. Does it uh, is it difficult? I mean, because you're training everything now at, as a mixed martial artist. Are you able to kind of click into wrestling mode and uh, and get right back to where you were as a student? Yeah, absolutely. I've been, you know, Aaron. I've been wrestling since I was five years old. So those are always be my roots and uh, something that I really love. So you you never forget how to wrestle. You know, it's like you if you just stopped interviewing people for a year, you think you would just forget how to interview people the next year? I wouldn't I forget, but I might be rusty. Yeah, you might be a little rusty, but I think you'd get the hang of it pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right about that. It's like riding a bike. Uh, yeah. So, so out in Rhode Island, you're you're training there, and you're you're doing um, 
consistent training, round the clock, but you might be off for about a year. I mean, you last fought in, in June. It doesn't look like there's any end in sight for this whole uh, welterweight title picture in terms of what happens with uh, Usman and, uh, and Tyron Woodley and what's next. It seems the people want you to fight next, and based on what uh, an interim championship means, it probably should have been you next. Now Woodley's got a second challenger not named Covington. Is it frustrating for you to see all this stuff happening around you? Uh, you know, I'm trying not to get emotional about it. You know, I'll let Uncle Fester Dana get emotional and make emotional business decisions, business decisions. But for me, you know, it's just, it's, uh, you know, I'm just moving on with my life. I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be the nice guy anymore. I'm not going to be the guy that, uh, says lies about the UFC and tries to cover for the UFC. Like they're so great and they're, everything's fine and dandy in the UFC. That, that's not really how it is. The UFC, I mean. They're a piece of shit company. They use every fighter. They, you know, they take advantage of guys. They try and rush guys into fights on short notice when guys aren't healthy. So, you know, I've done so many favors for the UFC, flew in all over the world, you know, fought for little money against top contenders, you know, fought for entry-level money. So, you know, I've never complained, never done one thing, always been a company man, never failed steroid tests, you know, never, never done anything wrong, literally never anything. I've only brought more fans and more casual fans, and, and that's the UFC – the UFC is shitting on their hardcore fans by not making a fight with me and Woodley, but they're also shitting on casual fans because I was starting to bring in a lot of casual fans, and, and I guess they don't want new fans, and they don't want to do big business. So that's their problem. I'm going to stay positive. I'm going to keep moving forward, Aaron. All I'm doing is getting better every single day. I don't care if it's been a year off, two years off. I will be using this time to better myself and, and become a better mixed martial artist. Put your animosity with Woodley aside for a second. Um, and try to be as, as objective as you can when I ask you this question. Do you feel like they treat him poorly? No. I can, I'll put this aside like I don't even know him and just look at his situation. They treat Tyrone Woodley so good, almost, almost as good as Connor. It may be better than Connor. You know, Connor, he's selling his own cards. Woodley's never sold his own cards. He's piggybacked off Connor. He made pay per view points off Connor, he made pay per view points off John Jones. Now he's going to make pay-per-view points again off John Jones. So, you know, they, they treat Tyrone Woodley so good, man. They pay him such good money, man, millions and millions of dollars, and he gets to use them. I mean, he, he fights once a year, and he makes all these big paychecks, and then you don't hear from him. He's out, he's out gossiping about the Kardashians, talking about what Justin Bieber's doing for the day. I mean, the guy's a joke, and he complains race-baiting. Oh, the UFC's so racist towards me. Oh, they don't like me because I'm black. But all they do is bend over and do favors for Tyrone Woodley. Well, it did seem like they rushed him into the fight with Till. Like he didn't really want to do it. It seems like this particular fight, they want, he wanted to fight you. He ends up fighting Usman, a guy who I don't think he really is that um, excited about fighting. I, I know that Usman is a, is a very good fighter. But um, it seems like he always wants to call his own shots, and they seem to be pushing him in certain directions at all times. Let's, let's make sure the narrative's right, uh, Aaron, because he definitely wanted to fight he didn't want to fight Till at that time, but he wanted to fight at that time because he hadn't fought in 15 months. And that's why they made the interim belt that I won because he hadn't fought in over a year. So he called his shots to the UFC, said, hey, I want to fight in September. I want Colby to make a quick turnaround. So he was, he was using that strategically. He was trying to get me on a short camp, and he knew I was sick and I had to get surgery, and it was a serious surgery. So he's like, oh, let's try and push Colby in a corner, but... You know, I'm not, I'm not the guy when UFC comes to me, they say jump, I don't say how high. So I said, you know, no, I need an extra month or two uh, 
with the surgery. Their doctors are telling you, hey, Colby can't breathe right now. He has to get this nose surgery. So UFC's doctor said, hey, he's not clear to fight. So Woodley got what he wanted. He got the he, he hadn't fought in 15 months. He got a fight, but it wasn't the fight he wanted. So he got killed. And then now, yeah, he was finally on board with fighting me, which he's never been on board with fighting me because he knows what's going to happen when we fight. It's going to be the same thing that happened in the gym. I'm going to leave him in a pool of blood, and he's going to quit. He's literally going to quit in the octagon because he's got no cardio, and he's a quitter, and he's a little bitch. So, yeah, he didn't want to fight me. He wanted to fight me finally this time, but once the UFC said, hey, you're going to be the co-main event, and you can piggyback off the star like John Jones again, he was like, okay, I'll do whatever you want, Mr. Dana White. I'll even, sh- I'll even shine your ribs. With, um, sorry, in your most recent interview, one that you did um, earlier this week with MMA Junkie Radio, you said something interesting, which was that you were considering legal action. Now, if you look at what an interim title means, um, basically it's, it's essentially a promise ring. It means that you're next in line. Um, as soon as the champion is ready to come back, you're the next person um, that, that is supposed to be fighting. Now, in boxing, this is governed by sanctioning bodies. You know, like the WBA will honor an interim champion, and that's the person that they have to fight next based on uh, that governing and sanctioning body. Now, the UFC is a little bit different because they're more, you know, they're a promotion and they kind of call their own shots. But was there ever the, I guess, idea of you going to the Texas Commission when they sanctioned uh, Till versus Woodley and saying, I'm the interim champion, you guys can't do this? I don't know what the legalities of that is, but was that ever a consideration? Yeah, it, you know, it was a consideration, but we wanted to go about it the right the right way. And originally, the UFC told my agent, Dan Lambert, they said, hey, Dan, Colby's 100% fighting next, 110%. We understand. We heard from our UFC doctors that he can't breathe and, and he has health issues and he's not ready to fight yet, but he's ready to fight two months, a month and a half later in Madison Square Garden. So, you know... I didn't think about taking that action because they promised me, they made me a guarantee that I was going to fight with the next no matter what, whether it be in Madison Square Garden, whether it be in Vegas at the end of the year, or whether it be in California in January, which all those fights I was promised against Woodley, and he couldn't fight supposedly because his pinkies hurt and he couldn't take enough Advil. So, you know, at the time, that would have been great to do that at the time, but, you know, I was promised something, and, I believe their their promises, but you know, as, as we found out, the UFC is a bunch of liars. They're a bunch of crooks, and you know they got favors to do, and they're doing favors for other people. And what was the backstory with UFC 233? It's been canceled, or I guess postponed. Uh, they're saying they're going to rebook it, but the rumor was that you were, uh, I guess, asked to fight uh, Kamaru Usman. I guess for another interim title, uh, was that kind of out of the question because of what happened the first time with the interim title? That basically it wouldn't be worth the belt. It's, you know, the belt is not worth what it's uh, supposed to be, given that Darren Till got a shot when you were already the interim champion. Uh, the only thing I know is that the UFC came to me in November. They said, "Hey, will you fight Tyrone Woodley in Madison Square Garden?" I signed away. I said yes. I was ready to fight up until two weeks when they said, "Hey." We're, we're putting Daniel Cormier in there. I was even going to fight uh, Nick Diaz when Woodley pulled out of the negotiations. Okay, we get to uh, January in Anaheim, California. They say, hey, you're going to fight Tyrone Woodley in the main event. I said, yes. Sign, give me his contract. I'll sign. I don't care. I'll sign the, the base pay to fight for the for championship. Let's do it. You know, Tyrone Woodley. Up until about, like, four or five weeks from the show, he pulled out again and said, oh, my pinky still hurts. You know, I need a little bit more time to heal. 
And then that's when they just decided to cancel the show. I wasn't offered anybody else for that show. The only person I was offered for that show was Tyrone Woodley, and I didn't get my wish. Do you like the fact that Ben Askren won't fight Tyrone Woodley? Do you think that, that you know, if Woodley does beat Usman, um, that if Askren is able to kind of jump the queue and beat Robbie Lawler, that essentially that continues to keep you at the top of the, the list for the uh, welterweight championship? There just aren't that many more contenders. Yeah, I need a... Uh, this is the first time I'll ever be rooting for Tyrell Woodley, the, the little crybaby gossip bitch. You know, this is the first time I'll ever root for him. He better win this fight. He better not fuck this up. This is this is such a big fight. You know, this is, there's so many ways this goes. Red, blue, political stances, you know, liberal, Republican. So, you know, there's... I mean, he's, just a, he's a fake gangster. He's not even from Ferguson. He claims to be this gangster thug from Ferguson. He's a little... He's a little bitch. He's from, he's from St. Louis. He's not even from Ferguson. So, you know, this, ha- this has so many different angles and storylines being former training partners. It's a huge, massive fight, and, it, it, you know, it, it's a premium pay-per-view main event. So I hope he doesn't fuck it up. If uh, Scamro Usman wins, you know, then, it, then, then a lot more contenders can come into play. And then, you know, I don't know. Then I don't know where I'm going to be sitting. You know, then they could pass me up for number 20 in the rankings because it's a fresh face. So... You know, this is the first time I'll ever be rooting for Tyrone Woodley. Well, let's say Usman does win, and then they call you and say, we want you to fight Tyrone Woodley next, and we're going to give you the the same amount of money we were going to give you uh, if it was a championship fight. Does that interest you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I just, you know, Aaron, I just want what I was promised, man. I want an interim title. I'm the champion. I'm America's champion. I'm the people's champion. All I want is is what I was what I earned and what I deserved and what they promised. And, and what they promised was championship pay. You know, it's, all, it's in my contract. Once you win the interim, you're fighting for championship pay. So I'm not taking anything less than championship pay. They're not going to get me to come out and fight and go backwards and do this and that. I'll, I'll just retire. I won't ever fight again. You'll never see me ever fight again if they try and make me go backwards and not fight for the, the promises and the contract that, that, that I earned and deserved. So... You know, I, I don't really care. I can go do other things. I have a big enough name. I'm a personality now, so I can go wrestle. I can go start a wrestling club. I can go uh, professional wrestling. You know, there's there's a lot of options for me. You know, I can make money off my name now because I'm a big enough name and, and I'm a larger-than-life character. And I guess there's always the world of pro wrestling. I don't know if your contract locks you into uh, mixed martial arts. Do you, have you explored that avenue at all? I haven't, you know. I, I, that'd be interesting to know. I'm glad you brought that point up. I'm going to have to talk to my agent, Dan Lambert, and see if a UFC contract restricts me from going to the independent wrestling circuit or going to, like, the, the Japanese wrestling circuit or, you know, or if it's just, like, the competitors, like WWE. Is it just restricted that I can't go to WWE? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know that they have, they in the past blocked Tom Lawler from wrestling when he was under contract. Um, so I don't know exactly what the legalities uh, of that are. But you mentioned Dan Lambert. He's as connected um, as anybody in the, the world of combat sports, um, also very wealthy. He's somebody that I think is a, a great resource for you in terms of uh, that lawsuit you mentioned and, and finding out whether there is any sort of ground for that sort of lawsuit. But is that the direction you're thinking of going in if they do say, listen, you need to fight someone else before you get a title shot or before you fight Woodley? Obviously, the direction I'm going, you know, I just want to fight, man. I just want to do what I love. I love to fight, you know. I love competition, and I know I'm the best fighter in the world, man. I train every day, and, you know, no one's ever taken one round off me. I just, I'm in my prime right now. I, I want to put on competition. I want to put on entertainment. You know, I want to go please all the fans. That's what I'm here for. So, 
you know, obviously, number one thing I want to do is fight right now. But I'm not fighting for anything less than I deserve. I'm standing up for what's right. And, and a lot of these fighters, they put their heads in between their, their you know, tails and, and they tuck their tails between their legs and they're scared to stand up for themselves. They, they, they don't want to fight against the UFC because they're afraid to lose their job. I'm not afraid to lose my job. UFC, I'm, I dare the UFC. Give me my release. You know, cut me. I don't give a fuck about you. I can make money anywhere else. I can go to another organization and make times for the money. So, you know, I don't need the UFC. I don't give a shit about the UFC anymore. I'm just standing up for what's right. And I'm going to speak my mind now, Aaron. I'm not, I'm not going to not uh, hold my tongue anymore. The UFC used to, to call me and tell me, hey, you need to hold your tongue. Don't talk about John Jones. Oh, don't talk about Joe Rogan. So I'm not doing that no more. I'm not listening to them. I'm going to do whatever I want. They can either cut me or give me a world title fight. Yeah, I asked Dana White if he would be willing to release you, uh, given that you had asked for your release, and he said no. He said that, that, that he was hoping to, uh, to keep you under contract. Um, but don't they buy, uh, I guess, legally have to offer you three fights a year? I mean, obviously, if they're not going to offer you a championship fight, you're not going to accept it. Yeah, I mean, I, they haven't offered me any fights, but the, the last fight they offered me was Woodley. That's all I've heard of is, is the Woodley fights, so... Yeah, they do have to offer me fights or whatever. We'll see what happens. If they come at me and, and try and offer me uh, a fight again for a fifth of my paycheck, I'm going to shove it in the face and tell them to go fuck themselves. So, you know, I'm not fighting I'm not fighting backwards. I've already worked my way up the ladder and fought guys ahead of me and behind me. I'm, I'm not fighting behind me anymore. I'm number one in the world. Go look on the website. I have a number one next to my name. I have a belt. I'm the real world champion. That's, that's what that belt title means, the real world championship. So. I'm the biggest draw in this in this division right now. I'm not fighting for anything less than I deserve, Aaron. I don't I don't care what they say. I'll stand up for what's right, and and if that means never fighting again, then that means never fighting again. I I've already built a great life for myself, man. I, I came from the projects. I came from you know trailer parks, you know a petty life, you know growing up with one parent, just my mom, like having to work four jobs. Like, dude, I I don't need anything anymore. I've already made enough money where I, I'm I'm healthy and I and I have enough. I I have investments and I. And I have enough going on in my life that I don't need to fight ever again. So, you know, you, you may never see me fight again. That's, that's a possibility right now. And um, another thing that, uh, that is interesting to me is that um, with Usman and with, uh, with Ben Askren, uh, these two guys seem to have more beef uh, with each other than they do with Woodley. So, uh, again, this is, this is something that you've built up. You've built up an organic storyline. And uh, one thing that the fans, I think, this, regardless of whatever their political interests are, uh, I think that they care more about mixed martial arts, a lot of these fans, than they do politics. Do you feel like you've become something of a, a sympathetic figure uh, in mixed martial arts and people are sending you a message saying, hey, I don't agree with your politics, but I think that you're getting screwed here? Yeah, you know, every every message board, all the comments, you know, all the fans, they, you know, the UFC has really turned, you know, everybody hated me. Now they're all turning to my side. It's, it's crazy to see all the support, you know, all the people that, you know, they're, they're just real people. They're, they understand my situation. Everybody has that boss that they hate and they don't want to work for and that boss that makes them do things that they don't want to do. So I think people can relate to my situation and they can understand what I'm going through. And, and you know, they, they realize the severity of this, of this instance and how bad I'm getting fucked over. This is, this is literally all politics. This is, this is politics up in the UFC, you know, them just this corrupt, corruption going on. So... You know, it's, it's cool to see, you know, people be sympathetic for me, but I don't want sympathy. I didn't ask for sympathy. I don't want people to feel bad for me because, you know, that's not, that's not what I want. I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm not that type of fighter, man. I'm a real down-to-earth person who, 
who who wants my cards played how how I want them. You know, I I asked for this. I wanted this brought on me. So, you know, I could have went about it other ways, but this is how I'm going about it, and I'm standing up for what's right, just like those kids from Covington High School. How, yeah, I, I did find that kind of funny, actually. When they were from Covington High School, I got a chuckle out of that. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> Looking at two th- UFC 235, though, if you were to put your analyst hat on and look at those two welterweight fights, Astrin uh, and Lawler and uh, Usman versus Woodley, how do you see those playing out if you were to just look at it strictly from an analytical perspective? Analytical perspective, you know, I see, uh, I see Woodley starch and Usman. I, I think Usman is inexperienced. He hasn't really fought a good wrestler that, that can strike, too. So, you know, he doesn't really have a good strategy. He just goes forward, and he tries to be a pressure fighter, but he doesn't have gas like that. He thinks he does, but he really doesn't. So I think he's going to get knocked out. You know, he's been dropped in a couple fights. You know, he got dropped by my teammate, Hyder Hassan. You know, he almost got dropped and knocked out by that, that one kid that was a jobber, email whatever his name was. Email Mech, yeah. Something. Yeah, so, you know, he's going he's gonna to walk into something. He, you know, he's walked into things and been dropped multiple times. He's already starting to show signs of CTE, so I think uh, Tyrell Woodley's going to knock him out. And then, and then, you know, Ben Askren, you know, he looks like a 36-year-old virgin, man. He looks like my science teacher, man. That guy's a joke. What's wrong with that guy? But, you know, all things aside, I think he's going to be Robbie because, you know, Robbie's the oldest man in the sport. He has the most significant strike to the head in the UFC history. So, you know, Robbie's a cool guy. I like the guy. I, I hope he retires soon, man, because I, I have a lot of love for that guy. He has a family, man. He needs to think about the longevity of his life and his brain health, and he needs to think about getting out of this sport. So. American Top Team, it took them a long time to have a champion. Like, Robbie was their first champion. Now they've got a double champion with Amanda Nunes. Uh, how are people in the gym um, embracing that? Yeah, people in the gym, you know, everybody's starting to come together and realize, you know, hey, we're guys are winning championships out of this gym. You know, we're feeding off each other's energy. Everybody, you know, is coming together. It's, it's finally some unity in the team again, you know. Before, you know, it, it was a lot of clicks, and, and and now there's so much unity, man. Everybody's together. Everybody's feeding off each other, and, you know, we all want to win titles. So, you know, there's no doubt that, hands down, American Top Team is the best gym in the world. We produce the most amount of UFC fighters, the most amount of champions. I mean, we're doing everything, you know, and, and we're just getting started, man. We've Dan Lambert built, you know, such a great thing at American Top Team. I mean, just the facilities alone. I mean, it's, it's like being in a mall every day. So you can't get help but get motivated and, and determined every time you walk through the doors. So, you know, there's a lot of good things that are going on at American Top Team. I'm proud to be an ATT fighter, and, and, and just, you know, I love my teammates. Your buddy Jorge Masvidal is also fighting soon. He's fighting against Darren Till now. I watched uh, the feature that BT Sport did with the two of them where they were sitting kind of at a table with each other. It seems like they have a really, you know, a good mutual respect for each other. I know that Darren is something of a trash talker, but his trash talk is mostly about picking himself up rather than tearing his opponent down. It seems like there's a really good uh, mutual respect between the two of them because they kind of know how that fight's going to go down. Yeah, you know, it should be an exciting fight. You know, two guys that like to strike and go forward, so... You know, we'll see what happens. You know, maybe a uh, new contender emerges or, or maybe, uh, you know, the Doughboy comes out. Who knows what's going to happen. But, you know, obviously there's going to be uh, corruption going on in England. Last time Daryl was there, you know, they gave him some favoritism on the judges' scorecards in his home country. And, and Bisping, you know, that one-eyed poor boy's got, you know, the home cooking judges when he fought Anderson, when he fought Dan Henderson. So, you know, I feel bad for Jorge having to go there and, and fight in the guy's home backyard. He's going to really have to beat him and beat him to a pulp to prove that he's a better fighter. So, you know, it should be an interesting matchup as far as styles goes. And, uh, 
you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, man. As a fan, now I'm just a fan. I just sit back and, and watch fights in my division, and, and we'll see how they go. There was so much hype around that Till versus Thompson fight, but really nobody won that fight. Yeah, nobody won that fight. That was a boring fight. It was like the least significant strike thrown in UFC history in a fight. I mean, they were literally playing patty cake. Like, I'd rather watch two little kids play patty cake than watch them fight again. So, you know, there's no hype around any of the fights around Daryl Doughboy because the guy can't even make weight. He's in middleweight trying to fight at welterweight. So, you know, he needs to go up to middleweight or even light heavyweight. The guy's a joke. He doesn't make weight. You know, he's, he, that's why he's Daryl the Doughboy. It's just hard for me to think that there was home cooking in that fight just because, I mean, if you're in Liverpool, the fans are going crazy every time uh, Till lands a strike, and they're not really responding to Thompson landing strikes, but really neither of them were landing strikes, <laughs> really, for, for the duration of that fight. So I don't really think Darren got, Darren, uh, got uh, you know, a home-cooked decision there. I just don't think that a whole lot happened. I mean, if you look at the fight metrics, you know, Thompson landed more strikes, but, you know, more strikes is what? Five strikes compared to four strikes? Yeah, it's really not a lot more strikes, but he did land more. I mean, it was a boring fight. They both, you know, just danced around and, and didn't really throw too much, and they respect each other. And, and, but if that's what the UFC wants, they want these guys that are going to play patty cake like Tyrone Woodley in their championship fights, and that's what they're going to get. You know, Tyrone Woodley fought Damian Maia through the least amount of strikes thrown in a title fight. Every time I fight, man, I go out there and I'm trying to put 500 strikes on a guy's face. I'm, I'm walking forward. I'm putting on an entertaining show. I always go forward and track guys down. And that's what I do, man. I bring the show. I bring the entertainment. So the UFC is missing out on making a lot of money right now and building up a superstar. When you saw what Maya did this past weekend, you've got to like that. You've got to like seeing that he can still do that to people because it won't uh, allow people to d- diminish your accomplishment. Yeah, it was good to see uh, Damien get back on track, you know. Uh, he fought Woodley, he fought uh, Usman, he fought me, and, and I'm the only one that left him in a pool of blood. And, and I did it in three rounds. I beat Damian Maia worse than both those guys beat him, and they had ten rounds to do it. I only needed three rounds. I left him in a pool of blood. I left him unconscious at the end of that third round. So, you know, it, it's good to see him come back and, and get a win and submit a guy who's pretty tough and, uh, and and keep his ranking. You know, he's still a top ten fighter, and he's still one of the best guys in the world, and you know, he has, he has second most wins all time now and, and some of the most submissions in UFC history. So it's good to see a guy like that, you know, come back and get wins because a lot of people are like, oh, he's over the hill. Oh, this and that. You know, they wanted to downgrade my my uh, my fight and my win. But, you know, that's just all these keto-eating nerds on their couches. Anything I do, they don't give me credit for. Did you, did you outland? Did you land more strikes? You did. You landed more strikes against Maya than both Usman and Woodley did over the course of three rounds. I forgot your fight was a three-round fight. I'm glad you brought that up. Yep, three rounds. I landed more strikes on Damian Maya's fight than Tyrone Woodley and Cameron Usman combined, and, and they both had five rounds against him. So their ten, their ten rounds together didn't even land as many strikes on his face as I landed in three rounds. I think you landed, you've landed more strikes against Damian Maya than, like, 12 of his opponents combined did <laughs> when you look at the stats. But uh, so good on you for that. Uh, Colby, I always appreciate your time. You're always very generous uh, with your time. And uh, I do hope for the best. I hope that you are able to get that next title shot uh, because, you, you know, people might not agree with your politics, but they have to agree with the fact that you did earn it. You, you won the interim strap. And uh, for you to have to turn it around in two, three months or whatever it was when the UFC doctor didn't clear you, it does seem like you got a raw deal there. So uh, let's see what happens in the future. And, uh, again, I appreciate this. Much love, there, and I really appreciate that, man. I look forward to talking again in the future. Take care. That was Colby Chaos Covington. And chaotic, indeed, is the state of affairs in the life of Colby Covington. He says he may never fight in the UFC and may never see him fight again, period. 
says he's happy to walk out into the sunset in the interest of fairness. I'm interested to see what happens next with him because, as I mentioned to him as a scenario, if Woodley wins and Askren wins, which I'm sure is the scenario that Colby's hoping for, even though he probably despises both of those individuals, it would be hard to deny Colby Covington the next title shot. I mean, what else is out there? Looking at the UFC rankings, which don't mean a whole lot usually, but, you know, I I know Colby said basically, look, there's a number one beside my name, which it holds water. I mean, if you're making fights and he's considered the number one guy, and if if Askren wins, he's not going to be number one because Robbie Lawler's number six. And if Usman loses, Covington's still going to be number one. Now, of course, if Usman wins, wins, it kind of throws everything up in the air. But who would be next in line after that? You've got Darren Till, who's already lost in you know devastating fashion to Woodley. Thompson, who's lost twice to Woodley. Or sorry, once was a draw, and then lost to Woodley in the second fight. So he's fought him twice. Dos Anjos, who's lost to both Usman and Covington. Robbie Lawler, who would have been coming off a loss to Askren. Askren himself, who has said he's not going to fight Tyron Woodley. Ponzinibbio, who's a good fighter, but I don't know if he has uh, necessarily earned that, and I, I don't know if they are going to put him against Dos Anjos, as uh, Ben Askren has been speculating. Or was it Askren that was speculating? Somebody was speculating. Oh, sorry, Darren Till. Darren Till was saying that both of them turned down fights with Till to try to get a fight with each other, so I don't know if that's going to happen. Damian Maya, Woodley has beaten him, so has Usman and Covington. Leon Edwards, and now we're getting just to the bottom of the division here. So you, you, you almost can't deny Covington if that's how it plays out. If Askren and... Woodley end up being the winners. I wouldn't blame... First of all, Colby Covington has to sit this one out and just say, I'm not signing anything until I see what happens in March. March isn't that far. I mean, that card's a month a month away. UFC 235. Great card. But if I'm Colby Covington, you know, I'm I'm sitting it out and waiting and seeing how it plays out because of Askren and, um, and even if Lawler wins, I mean, I don't think they're going to do a Lawler versus um, Woodley rematch given what's happened to Lawler since. With that loss to RDA, that bad loss. So basically, if Woodley wins, and I, Colby alluded to this in the interview, you got to imagine Colby's going to be next in line. So maybe they mend fences. I mean, going around calling Dana White Uncle Fester, even though Dana White says he doesn't listen to any of this, uh, anything that happens online, and had no idea that Covington had asked for his release. Uh, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that he might be uh, being a little bit facetious. I'm sure somebody has tipped him off to some of these things. But uh, that probably doesn't help his cause. But he's saying he wants to be honest about everything. I don't know. The one thing that is certain that he, he has said and that Woodley agrees with is that we've got enough of a storyline behind these two that this will end up being a big fight. And I posted on Twitter last week after that press conference that when Woodley's in these press conference situations, he always says, you know, how are you going to beat me? How are you going to beat me? And it's always true. Like, that, that's the best trash talk you can have. How are you going to beat Tyron Woodley? How is Usman going to beat Tyron Woodley? Because I see a path for Usman, but it's not, you know, it's not a very easy path. In my opinion, and I'm not Mr. X's and O's, but I'll give you my opinion. The best path for victory for Usman is to not get hit and to put volume on Tyron Woodley. The problem is, we've seen that Usman does get hit. He gets hit in almost all of his fights. And if you get hit by one, one of those bombs from Tyron Woodley, you're in trouble. Now, I don't think either guy's going to try to wrestle. I don't think that would be in, in either of their best interests, unless one of them kind of finds a spot. 
where it's advantageous for them to go for some sort of takedown, maybe off of a, off of a strike or something. But to me, Usman, his best asset is his volume in terms of his striking. And if he can put volume on Woodley, if he can hit and not get hit, I think that's his best path. I don't think he's really got a good path to finish Woodley. And in a five-round fight, that's problematic. So uh, that's how I think that one. That, that's how I think Usman can win that fight. But I don't think that it's the the best path to victory. I think that Woodley's got a much easier path to victory with that you know the dynamite he has in his hands. So that's the state of the welterweight division. In terms of the lightweight division, it's pretty much in flux right now. Khabib has come out and said, "I'm not fighting until November." He's basically sitting out with his comrades. He's being uh, loyal to his friends. And out of solidarity, he's honoring a one-year suspension, even though he's been given a nine-month suspension that could have been shortened to six months. He recently came out, and MMA Junkie reported that he's not going to be doing the PSA for Nevada, as asked, the anti-bullying PSA that would have shortened his suspension to six months. He's going to do the nine months plus an additional three months. You've also got to factor Ramadan into that. He doesn't like to train during Ramadan. So he's targeting a November return at MSG because he doesn't want to fight in Vegas again, and usually the UFC holds a card in Vegas in October. Usually it's March, July, October, and then that end-of-year card, but that end-of-year card is gone, so it'll probably be beginning of December now. We'll see another card in Vegas. So he wants to do November at MSG. So with that in mind, he'll have not fought for over a year, and what happens when you don't fight for over a year? Interim titles are created. I do believe that there will be an interim title created at Lightweight, and if I had to guess, it'll be an interim title fight between Tony Ferguson and Dustin Poirier. And then, of course, you've got Connor versus Cowboy. Now, if I'm the UFC, I try to get this stuff booked as fast as possible. I try to do for April, I try to do that interim fight, and then maybe International Fight Week, if you can turn it around, you do the winner of Cowboy versus Connor against the winner of that fight for the interim title and the, the next shot at Khabib in November. But, of course, that's under the premonition that Conor McGregor could fight three times in a year. And I don't think he needs to do that. But if he does, it'll be a big year for the UFC. They'll be thrilled. Then he has a legit path to that rematch against Khabib that I think could sell more than two million pay-per-views like it did last time in a rematch. Possibly even three if they can promote it in a a more, you know, more of a a tour or press conferences. Anything that's going to boost the profile of that fight. Not that it needs boosting, but you can always make something big even bigger. So uh, those, I think, are kind of the final four right now in the lightweight division, if you want to call it that. There are some others that are in the mix, but, you know, and then there's always the wild card in Nate Diaz, but right now, um, that's how it looks. Speaking of the Diaz brothers, Gilbert Melendez came out on uh, Chael Sonnen's show and said that uh, Nick Diaz is retired. Now, if you've been following the social media endeavors, namely on... uh, Instagram of uh, Nick Diaz, I think that was probably a pretty safe assumption. You don't see a lot of his uh, Instagram videos of him, you know, hitting pads. Mostly him hitting the clubs. So uh, Nick Diaz apparently retired, even though he was reportedly going to face Jorge Masvidal this year, a fight that has since been scrapped. And uh, Masvidal, as I spoke to Colby Covington about, is facing Darren Till. Coming up soon in London. That's a great card, too, that London card. I like that. Fans in London must be thrilled. It's been a while since they've had a card of that caliber in London. So let's move to Philadelphia, where UFC on ESPN, an 8 p.m. main card start. Yes! 
Justin Gaethje versus Edson Barboza in what could be the fight of the year based on what we know about these two individuals. Must-see TV, Justin Gaethje. The real Mr. Saturday Night. Forget Billy Crystal. Justin Gaethje's Mr. Saturday Night. You put that guy on TV, and you know what you're going to see. Fireworks, action-packed, dynamite, back-and-forth exchanges. That's Justin Gaethje. And Edson Barbosa, one of the absolutely most devastating strikers in the history of the UFC. Joe Rogan has said that he has the best kicks, I think, in, in UFC history, and you'd be hard-pressed to argue against that. So that is going to be... I mean, we saw Edson connect on that wheel kick. I think it was against Khabib, and Khabib walked right through it, but that was like in the fourth or fifth round. So we know that Edson always has something in the tank. This fight goes five rounds. It could be the best fight ever. So to preview that fight and talk about some other things, I'm now joined by Justin Gaethje, who's in Philadelphia, to promote the ticket on sale for UFC on ESPN, Gaethje versus Barboza. He joins us now on the TSN MMA show. All right, I'm now joined by Justin Gaethje. He is headlining UFC Fight Night in Philadelphia. It'll be on ESPN and, of course, up here in Canada on TSN. Uh, Justin, how are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So you're in Philadelphia right now. What have you been doing so far? Oh, they had me up bright and early. Uh, we had a meet in the lobby at 645, and then we were on a couple of radio stations, 97.5, was it 93.3? 93.3, and then we were just... We just went by the uh, the Flyers arena or uh, practice and met with the hockey team and then met with the lacrosse team, the, the wings. That's cool. Yeah, you got to hit those morning shows. That's always fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah get it over. <laughs> so you're going to be facing uh, Edson Barboza. Now, on paper, this to me is the most exciting fight that's been announced this year. Uh, when Edson had that win over... Um, Dan Hooker, I went on Twitter and said they have to make this fight. Edson Barboza versus Justin Gaethje. I know you wanted Ally Akinta, but uh, what do you think of this matchup against Edson? It should be a fun one. Yeah, it'll be great, man. I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm pumped, man. I mean, he's, he's, a, dangerous, he's a dangerous dude, um, especially for one round. I mean, uh, incredibly dangerous. I think the most dangerous in the division. But um, you know, I definitely got to march him backwards. You got to use my pressure. And uh, at the end of the day, we've seen him quit more than once, and that, that will be my plan to in there. Well, I was going to say, you guys are both uh, phenomenal strikers, but there's a big difference in terms of the, the range. I mean, Edson likes to, to attack from a little bit further away, and you like to get right in that pocket. Is that going to be your, your plan, is basically to smother the guy? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's no, no secret to that. I mean, if you give that guy space, you're a fool. We've seen a lot of... Uh, his recent opponents, Khabib, Kevin Lee, uh, really overwhelm him with wrestling and grappling. Uh, you always have that in your back pocket. Is that something you're looking to implement, or do you think that standing up, you still have a very good advantage? Oh, man. Uh, you know, my brain says to wrestle, but the, the warrior in me says, do not do that. So, uh, who knows? I, I, I don't go in there and I never take away my uh, my tools. Um I think it would be smart to uh, take him down a couple times for sure. In every Justin Gaethje fight, we know what you're going to do. Do you ever, like, how much do you actually game plan for your opponents in terms of looking at their style and how it matches up, or do you just do Justin Gaethje? Uh, I mostly leave that up to my coach, Trevor Whitman. Um, he kind of watches their fights and then really implements the game plan through our, you know, through the 12-week uh, process of, of, you know, we work out three or four times a week, so... 
every time we work out, he's implemented something. He doesn't necessarily tell me about it, but, you know, again, I, I can only control what you control. I got to go in there. I got to be my best self. So at the end of the day, I'm working on me. This event's on ESPN. In the first ESPN card, we got to kind of see the brilliance of Trevor Whitman on display. Uh, what have you thought about the different tweaks that you've seen with uh, ESPN so far? Yeah, I'm loving it. Um, they need to figure out a way to get these ESPN plus, ESPN plus fights on, in the bars, but I think that's the only thing that, uh, that I think is uh, not good. Maybe the bar owners just buy a Chromecast and just cast it right up for everybody to see. They probably can't do that legally, but that, that, that would be my know. advice. That's what I mean. they got to figure something out. My dad was in the city of last weekend, and he could not find the fights anywhere. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, uh, does he not have the app? Well, he was, no. He's, uh, he's old school. <laughs> he's, he's got a flip phone. <laughs> well, don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's easy. I, know, I mean, it, it is. The answer is, dude, just download the app and get yourself a subscription, but... When, you know, some people enjoy going to the bar and watching the fights. That was that was a, kind of the whole, the whole thing. You know, people love that. Yeah, now, it definitely gives a communal vibe. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, so, so you know, as I mentioned, this is going to be on, on big ESPN. Um, you are must-see TV. I mean, that's always kind of been uh, how they've been utilizing you in most of your fights. You were on one pay-per-view, but most of the time they put you on TV in the, in the main event, which usually leads to these five-round uh, fights, at least scheduled for five rounds. Uh, do you like ha- having that kind of spotlight on you where you know you're going to have a lot of eyes on you? I, I would guess you're going to see almost two million people probably watching this card. Yeah, I'm pumped. Um, you know, Growing up as a kid, I watched ESPN every morning. So yeah, it's definitely a dream come true to be able to you know be on be on um, ESPN, be the headlining fight. I do enjoy it. I enjoy walking out last. I enjoy closing the show out. I enjoy uh, people, uh, you know, kind of the anticipation that people have to go through to wait till my fight because um, they they know that they know they're gonna see some you know crazy and off the wall. So I I enjoy it a lot. Your division's in flux right now. Uh, Khabib has said he's going to sit out for a full year to uh, basically in solidarity with his training partners. Um, so as a result, he, he looks like he's not going to be fighting until November. Do you think that this uh, division needs an interim title right now? I don't give a shit, man. I'm just fighting that for my bows. I'll worry about that after, uh, you know, after this fight. I'm going to get out one of these days. I'm going to get Kevin one of these days. So... Um... But none of that happens, you know, without going out and, and beating Edson. So I really got to be focused on that right now. What ended up happening in the negotiations with uh, with Ally Akinta? He just didn't want the fights. He wants to fight somebody that's higher ranked? Yeah, I don't know, man. Well, we were supposed to fight. He backed out. I remember, yeah, in Nebraska. The UFC let him out with no repercussions. They gave him a bigger fight. They rewarded him for it. So, uh, you know, who knows, man? You be a fighter, you go out there, you do the right things, and they still shit on you. So you just got to go out there and worry about yourself. So you're going to be fighting in Philadelphia. It's the main event yourself, Edson Barboza, the co-main. I don't know if it's the co-main, but uh, the, the next biggest fight announced is Carolina Kovalkiewicz versus uh, Michelle Waterson. That's a, that's a heck of a fight in the strawweight division. Yeah, I'm pumped. I'm pumped. I don't think nobody's likes to be on the cards I'm on, though, because so far, uh, automatically, one bonus is off the table, possibly two, hopefully. That is true. Yeah, I guess when you're signing on to a card and you see Justin Gaethje's at the top, you know that you're probably going to have to get a submission. Yeah, well, now it's the 4th of the night, so you better go for broke. 
<laughs> well, we know that, that you're going to be doing that. Edson Barboza likely going to do that as well. I mean, he's uh, a heck of a striker, very technical, some of the best Muay Thai you'll see in mixed martial arts today, and that's going to be on display. That's March the 30th at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia. Tickets on sale this Friday. Uh, it's not that far. We're, we're in Toronto here. It's about a, you know an eight-hour drive if you want to head down to Philadelphia because uh, that's the kind of fight you want to be there in person to see. Yeah. yeah I would take a flight if it's eight hours. <laughs> well, uh, it's probably a short flight, about an hour. So if you want to do that, you can do that as well. Justin, thanks for your time. Always appreciate uh, having you on the TSN MMA show, and uh, we look forward to this. TSN is going to be airing it in Canada, and it's always uh, great having Justin Gaethje on our air. All right, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That was Justin Gaethje, and we move now to his opponent, Edson Barboza, coming off a big win over Dan Hooker, who outlined some of his injuries this week, and whew, not pretty, not pretty. But he joins us now on the TSN MMA show. I'm now joined by one of the most dynamic strikers in the UFC, Edson Barboza, coming off a big win against Dan Hooker back in December. Edson, Dan Hooker must have really impressed you in terms of his toughness in that fight. I mean, he just would not go away. You finally got him out of there midway through the third round, but were you impressed with his durability? No, he's a tough guy. He's a top 15 in lightweight division. He's definitely one of the best in the world. And that's what works very hard to beat him because, like I said, he's one of the best in the world. It don't surprise me. Yeah, he unfortunately just uh, mentioned this week that he suffered a, a fracture to his uh, orbital bone. So uh, that's uh, going to be a, a long road to recovery for him, unfortunately. Um, you've been scheduled now in the main event, UFC on ESPN in Philadelphia against Justin Gaethje. Now, you know what you're getting into with Justin Gaethje. Um, is this the kind of fight that you like? You know you're going to be standing up with the guy for pretty much for three to five rounds? Yeah, man, definitely. That's the fight I love. It. I'm a big fan, you know? Yeah. This fight, I want to fight. If you ask me to, to watch... That's the fight I want to watch, you know. That's what I was very excited for my next fight. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. After you uh, beat Dan Hooker, I sent out a tweet saying, somebody needs to book Justin Gaethje versus Edson Barboza. And the amount of likes that that tweet got was uh, were astronomical. Uh, and now here we are. So you've got probably <laughs> one of the most exciting fights uh, of the year that's on paper right now. Yeah, I think so, man. And I'll be prepared for war. And I know he's going to be prepared too. And, guys, be ready. It's going to be a really, really, really good fight. <laughs> Big war. That's what I'm ready for. Now, a lot of your best work has been from distance. His best work is usually in the pocket. Um, is your goal going to be to prevent him from getting into the pocket, or are you going to be training a lot more so that you're uh, more ready for, a, I guess, more of a cl- an in-tight striking match? Um, like like I said, man, training my skills. Uh, well, I think I know. I'm gonna be ready. If I get closer, I'll be ready. If go on the ground, I'm ready. Stay long distance, be ready. And that's it. I'll be ready. I have this fight going ready. After the losses to Kevin Lee and Khabib, were you tired of fighting mostly grappling-based fighters? Are you are you being more picky and choosy about who you want to fight in the future? Of course not. <laughs> I never say no for a fight. I won't fight with everybody. I never, you know, pick the guy to, to fight. You know, I want to fight the strikers. You know, I'm a fighter, man. I fight with everybody. And you know, I see the lightweight division, all those guys. I'm not scared to fight with nobody. And, but like I said, if you ask me, I prefer fight with strikers, of course, because it's better for the show. But fight is fight, you know. I never 
never, you know, choice to fight. You um, mostly trained with Mark Henry uh, for, for quite some time, uh, but you've since moved back to Florida, back to American Top Team, mm-hmm. uh, where you were earlier in your career. What was uh, the, um, how did you make that decision? Yeah, make the decision together with my, my wife, you know, my wife, my son, my family. And yeah, I really have a hard time to live in New Jersey. I don't know why, because I love the people, like I said, Mark, Henry, Ricardo, all my training partners. I really love all the guys there, but to live there, it's so hard for me and my family. I was there for two winters. He said, I talked to my wife, say I can't do this anymore. I can't stay here for one more winter. And that's a good decision to back to Florida. I was going to tell you, I know why you why it was hard for you to live there. The weather. I mean, you're from Brazil. You have a chance to live yes. in Florida. It's a no-brainer, right? Yes. Right now, it's different. I saw my wife happy. My son's happy. He's go outside every day. He's play outside every day. And, yeah, life's good. <laughs> and who are your main training partners uh, and coaches at American Top Team? Uh, my coach is here, Anderson França, my kickboxing coach. You know, he's coached me for a long time. But I have uh, Tahupinha, who worked my ground game, Steve Moko, my wrestling, Coach Gabriel, he's a boxing coach. And partner, I have a 1,000 trained partner. <laughs> you know, if I need a tall guy, I have a short guy, I have a wrestling, I have a, you know, I have a 1,000 different guys over here. That's, you know, definitely that's the best team in the world. Well, that's the beauty of ATT, is if you need somebody to uh, emulate Justin Gaethje, there's got to be somebody. There's so many people that train at the gym that you can always find uh, a good fit. Yes, definitely. A lot of guys fight like him there. And I train with Justin for years, fall with him. He helped me a lot. And, yeah, I'll be ready for this. <laughs> How have... Um... How has Amanda Nunes been received at American Top Team since winning that second title by uh, by yourself and a lot of the other Brazilian fighters there? Oh, this is awesome. I remember the day when she go there with the gold belt. That's awesome. Everybody, you know, I'm so happy. Whole team so happy. And she's the example for us, you know. She's in the top of the world. She's the most tough woman in the world. And he's keeping motivating us, you know, to keep going give your best every single day. Now, while I have you, one thing that's interesting to me is this weekend, Anderson Silva is facing Israel Adesanya. Uh, given how prolific you are in the striking realm of this sport, do you think that Anderson Silva has a good path to victory against uh, Israel Adesanya? Yes, man. Talking about Anderson Silva, he wants the great ever in this sport. You know? And... That's going to be a very interesting fight because the other guy is really good too. But, man, you never know about Anderson. If he motivates, if he happens, he, if, I think he's be ready for this fight, you know. I think everybody say uh, he's underdog, but for me, my opinion, he he's one of the best in, in the world ever, you know. He, I'm very excited, man. Definitely want to watch this fight. I'm very excited. Will you go as far as predicting that he's going to win that fight? I think so. I hope so, you know. <laughs> I really hope so. I want to watch and scream a little bit for him, for sure. 
you know, I think people forget about how good he is. You know, people say, oh, he's won four and one in his last six, but they don't look at the circumstances behind that. Now, the one at the end is a win over <laughs> Nate Diaz, or Nick Diaz that was overturned. One of the losses mm-hmm. is Daniel Cormier getting off of his couch five days mm-hmm. beforehand, fighting one of the best of all time. The, mm-hmm. One of those losses is Chris Weidman when he injured his leg. Who knows how that fight would have played out. And the other one was yeah. against Bisping, where a lot of people thought he won that fight. So do you think people yeah. are forgetting how good this guy is? Yeah, but sometimes, especially people for MMA, I think all sport, but in MMA more, if people just remember your last fight, you know? You remember last couple of fights, and so this guy's on the field for many years. He's got UFC belt for many years. He fight 85, 205. He beats everybody, and yeah, people have a short memory, the people for MMA. Well, case in point, I mean, you were an underdog against Dan Hooker, and we saw how that turned out. Yeah, man. Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, what's that? Yeah, I was saying, you know, you were an underdog against Dan Hooker because people saw that you lost two in a row. They forgot how good you were. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, if you have a short memory in, in, in mixed martial arts, most people just remember your last fight. If you're doing good in your last fight, you're good. If you lost, you're Real bad guy, you know? That's funny. <laughs> well, both yourself and Justin Gaethje are coming off of a win. We know that you guys are going to bring your best. It's the main event, March 30th, Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia. Uh, tickets are on sale this Friday. I saw that a ringside, a cage-side seat is like $180. That might be the best value ever for this fight. Man, oh, if you have opportunity, don't miss the opportunity because you're just going to watch a real fight, you know? No trash talk, a lot of respect between us. Uh, you guys definitely want to watch a real fight. You people go there and give it best and give a show for everybody. It's going to be a fun night for sure. All right, Edson. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it and uh, look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you, man. appreciate it. All right. That was Edson Barbosa, and that caps off a very fun show. I liked speaking with those guys. Colby Covington, Justin Gaethje, Edson Barbosa. As I mentioned off the top of the show, on Friday you'll have a podcast for UFC 234. Myself, Bazooka Joe, hopefully we'll have uh, Israel Adesanya joining us as well. So we're, uh, we're looking forward to that particular show. Now this card, you know, as I mentioned, I, I love the two fights off the top. we got Whitaker versus Gastelum. I've got a very strong feeling about the main event that we'll talk about on Friday. And uh, like I said about Adesanya versus Silva, I don't want to write off Anderson Silva just yet. Now, this card just does not have a lot of depth. Let's be honest. Looking at it from top to bottom... There are not a whole lot of big names. If you're turning on ESPN and do the main event is Devontae Smith versus Dong Young Ma, a.k.a. Dong Young Kim, a.k.a. Maestro Dong Young Kim, whatever you'd like to call him. And you see Shane Young versus Austin Arnett, Kai Kara France versus Raulian Peva, Teruto Ishihara versus Kyung Ho Kong. If you followed the sport for a while and you're coming back to it now that it's on ESPN or for whatever reason, or you see it's a prelims for a pay-per-view, I have a feeling you're not going to know who a lot of these guys are, and that's problematic. I would have liked to see them... Stack that a little bit more, especially when you have Lando Venata on the prelim card. At least people know who Lando Venata is. Put him on the on the ESPN part of the card. I don't think it's a great look that the second thing that they have ever on ESPN, which was supposed to be the first thing, because if you look at the uh, the prelims for the ESPN Plus card, I think that they decided relatively close to the event that they were going to put those prelims on ESPN because they haven't done that before, and I don't think they're going to do that you know after for the ESPN Plus exclusive cards. So if this was going to end up being the first thing on ESPN, woof, woof. I, I mean, these are going to be good fights. If you're, if you're listening to the show and you're a fan of MMA, 
you're going to watch those fights and love them. Because if you have the time to listen to this show, you're definitely going to make the time to watch that prelim card on TSN and ESPN. You know who Devontae Smith is. He's been on the show before. You know that Kai Kara France and uh, Kai Kara France and uh, and Rowley on Pava are two exciting flyweights. Uh, at least I don't know I, if you've seen any of Rowley and Pava's uh, fights. Uh, you should go and check out him on the uh, Dana White Contender Series Brazil. He's an exciting fighter. That's going to be a good one. And if you're like me, you're a big fan of Kyung Ho Kong. Kyung Ho Kong is one of my favorite fighters to watch in the UFC. So of course you're looking forward to it. I'm just saying optically, they could have made it bigger. But I, you know what? I'm one of these guys that does get somewhat annoyed when people are like, oh, this just isn't a good card. It's like, you're going to watch it. Like that card in Wichita in a couple weeks. You got, or even the one in the Czech Republic, you got Blokovich versus Santos. You still have like Peter Yan versus John Dodson on that card. Even though there aren't a ton, you know, there's not a ton of other great fights on that card. I think Blokovich versus Tiago Santos is a very good fight. Magomed Ankalaev was supposed to be on the card. I think he still is going to be on the card. But um, like you're still going to see good fights. Apparently, uh, Rustam Kabilov versus uh, Carlos Diego Vejejas on that card. If that's the case, that's a really good fight. But I'm just saying, if you love the UFC and you're listening to this show, you probably love the UFC, you probably love MMA. You're going to be excited for that card regardless of when and where it is and who's on it. It's just you love this sport. Even if there are people you haven't heard of that are fighting, you still want to get acquainted with them. We'll look at Johnny Walker, for example. When Johnny Walker was facing Khalil Roundtree in his UFC debut, there aren't a whole lot of people that knew much about Johnny Walker, but now he's, he's become close to our hearts. We love Johnny Walker. He's a lot of fun. Without fights like Johnny Walker versus Khalil Roundtree, or without these guys like Rowley and Pava making his debut on that card, we never learn about these new fighters. Sometimes you have to watch these matchups with people you haven't heard of so that you become acquainted with them. And down the line, you can be like, I was, I was in on the ground floor for Rowley and Pava now that he's the number one contender for the non-existent flyweight division. Probably a bad example. But you know what I'm saying. If you're listening to this show and you listen to other UFC podcasts, even if you think it's a weak card, you're going to watch it. And sometimes weak cards don't deliver. And a lot of the times they do. A lot of the times you're watching a card and you're like, wow, I'm glad I watched that because we had some of the craziest finishes we've ever seen. So that's all I'm saying. Is if you love the sport, you're going to watch it. It's like an NFL Sunday. If there's a bad Monday night football matchup and you love the NFL, and it's whatever, Titans versus Jags late in the season. Yeah, the Titans were kind of in contention, but whatever. You're still going to watch it. It's Monday night football. Just like you'll watch the UFC when it's on. Even if you don't watch it live, you can watch it uh, on ESPN Plus, Fight Pass, wherever you might consume it. You don't need to watch it live, but it's fun. It's a good way to spend a Saturday. If you love MMA, you'll find the time to watch it. That's all I'm saying. So even though this prelim card for uh, UFC 234 might not look that great on paper, who knows? Maybe it ends up being fireworks. Every All four of those fights end with like crazy finishes. Who knows? That's why we love this sport. That's what makes the sport so incredible. We just never know what's going to happen. You know, before we wrap this up, why don't I? Why don't we take a look at that UFC Fortaleza card? I was going to talk to Joe a little bit about that, but let's let's go over that briefly because Marlon Moraes really deserves a lot of credit for his last three wins all in the first round. He has earned that title shot. You know, I put out a poll saying, um, "Who would you like to see 
TJ Dillashaw fight next. And it was 75% Marlon Moraes over 25% Henry Cejudo. And they also came up with a graceful way for the flyweight finale, we'll call it. You take Henry Cejudo, you have him face Joe Benavidez, who has beaten him previously. Make them lock horns for the final UFC flyweight title matchup with the winner getting a shot at the winner of Marlon Moraes versus TJ Dillashaw. It's perfect. Find me a hole in that argument. Cody Garbrandt's lost two in a row, both to Dillashaw, mind you, but regardless of that, I don't know if he's in contention. Dominic Cruz is out for the year. Pedro Munoz with a win over Cody Garbrandt gets him into the mix, but you, you wouldn't say that he's probably should be ahead of Henry Cejudo at this point. So why not come out, end this, end this division with grace. Come out and say, listen, this is the finale. This is going to be the last ever flyweight fight. We're having Joe B versus Henry C. And this is going to be it. But the winners, there's, there are stakes here. Because you're going to get a belt. You'll be the last ever flyweight champion, at least until we reinstate the division in three years when another phenom comes onto the uh, scene and that they want to sign. But until then, you're going to get a, a bantamweight title shot, and you could be the next bantamweight champion. You could be a double champion, so to speak. Hold a title in two different divisions. That's what I would do. But I digress. I think that Marlon Rice is locked in as the next fight for TJ Dillashaw, even though we saw how Cejudo beat Dillashaw. Let's let it marinate a little bit. Let's let's see how things play out a little bit. I mean, these bantamweight contenders have waited so long for a title shot. As I have mentioned time and time again, there have only been four people to contest for the bantamweight title, I think, over the last three years. It's ridiculous already. We need new contenders, and Marlon Rice is that new contender. Three wins in a row, all in the first round. A bad matchup for TJ Dillashaw. Let's make it happen. Jose Aldo, three-round Aldo, undefeated in the uh, Zufa umbrella. Gotta love three-round Aldo. 44 seconds into the second round, puts away Moicano. Moicano's title hopes and aspirations at featherweight are dashed. And somewhere, someplace... Frankie Edgar and Alexander Volkanovsky are popping the cork on their champagne, knowing that they could very well be next in line, and it will not be Moicano. Jose Aldo might never be a champion again, but man, those last two fights against Stevens and Moicano have been electric. It's the Jose Aldo of old, the WEC. Jose Aldo making things happen. And as I mentioned to Colby Covington, Demian Maia, looking like the Demian Maia of old. First round submission finish. And Colby said, look what I did to Demian Maia in three rounds. He landed more strikes against Maia in three rounds than both Usman and Woodley landed in five rounds. So those wins for all three of those guys over Demian Maia all look a lot better, knowing that Demian Maia still can be the Demian Maia of old. Demian Maia by submission, and another guy that you can always count on for a good submission, Charles Oliveira. After sustaining a terrible eye poke in the first round, two fingers gouged right into his eyes. He bounces back to defeat David Tamier, handing him his first loss under the Zufa umbrella. Anaconda choke second round. And like I said, if you had the prop on Charles Oliveira by, the, by a submission, you were gifted a submission win by Jaron Vallel because he really should have finished him by strikes. David Tamier had his back turned to Oliveira, who was pelting him with strikes. But Charles Oliveira has got to be one of the most exciting guys to watch, not only in the UFC right now, but in UFC history. All of his fights are awesome. 
Except for that, the one that wasn't awesome was the one against Max Holloway because he injured his rib in like the first round. That was probably the fight I was most looking forward to all year that year. It was in Saskatoon, I believe. It was Charles Oliveira versus Max Holloway in the main event before Max Holloway was the champion. I was dying to see how that fight would play out, and Charles Oliveira suffers a freak injury and ends that fight. God, that sucked. The aforementioned Johnny Walker, 15-second win over Justin Ledette. Spinning backfist and punches. Johnny Walker. Marching his way onto the scene at light heavyweight. Great to see some young blood at light heavyweight. My oh my. Livia Hanata Souza versus uh, the heavily overweight by seven pounds on the scale, Sarah Frota. But I watched some videos of Sarah Frota as the elite singer of a uh, punk band, so she's, she's kind of, I'm, I've become a little bit endeared with her. I like that she, uh, she has a punk music background. That's always cool. Apparently, apparently Livia Renata Souza also likes to uh, sing, if I'm not mistaken. But Souza gets a split decision win in a pretty close fight. I think Frota is going to be around for a while, though. She looks good. I think it was a bit of a step up in competition that she wasn't able to face up to, but uh, good win for uh, for for Souza. Marcus Perez, former LFA champion, defeats Anthony Hernandez with the first of two Anaconda choke victories on the card. Pretty impressive. I don't know when the last time that happened was. Not quite as special as two Sulayev stretch finishes in the same card like we saw last year in September, but uh, cool nonetheless. Mara Romero. Borella uses her grappling to defeat the newcomer, Tyler Santos, who didn't really get a chance to show off the really high-level Muay Thai she has uh, en route to her loss in her Zufa debut, UFC debut. Thiago Elvez, a little hometown cooking, gets the decision to win over Max Griffin. I thought it was pretty clear that Griffin won the first and third round. Two of those judges didn't agree with me, and he gets a, a win in his hometown of Fortaleza, Brazil. Yair Rosenstruck, Bursting onto the heavyweight scene, showing that he can get up off the ground when he's taken down by a big man like Junior Albini, who cuts the 265 pounds. Rosenstrike ends the fight with strikes. Second round, head kick and punches. I like Rosenstrike. I, I want to see him put him against strikers. I mean, this is a guy who beat Benjamin Adigbui. And when Joe's here on Friday, we'll talk about how serious of an accomplishment that is. But he beat Benny Adigbui in kickboxing. Attic Bowie most recently before losing the, uh, the heavyweight Grand Prix in glory to uh, Ben Sadiq was the number one contender at heavyweight. Jamal Ben Sadiq looking great in that tournament. The freak, Ben Sadiq. I actually caught all of the glory cards. For the first time in a while, I watched an entire glory card, so I'll talk to Joe about that as well on Friday. We also saw Saeed Nurmagomedov against Ricardo Ramos. And uh, Nurmagomedov wins with a first-round KO. People are thinking, wow, a KO, Nurmagomedov. People need to remember, just because his last name is Nurmagomedov doesn't mean he's going to follow the exact same path as his cousin, Khabib Nurmagomedov. Because Saeed Nurmagomedov trains with Mark Henry. Does mostly striking-based training, I would imagine, or at least largely striking-based training out in New Jersey. And he showed that off against Ricardo Ramos. A first-round finish, very unpredictable outcome of that fight. And then in uh, another possibly hometown cooking decision, Rogerio Bontarin defeats Magomed Bibulatov by split decision. And I thought Bibulatov had done enough to win that fight or the decision there, but we're in Brazil. So you see Bontorin and uh, Thiago Elvez both get some, uh, some hometown cooking. But that was a fun card. That was a strong card. And uh, the second fight card on ESPN Plus 
The first one that was exclusive to ESPN Plus across the board aired on TSN 5. And if you are a subscriber to Bell 5, make sure you open up that Bell 5 app because if you missed the most recent UFC card, at least the ones that we have the rights to, which is every one of them, save for main event or uh, main cards on pay-per-views and uh, eight international Fight Pass cards that will be exclusive to Fight Pass in Canada. You can go to the on-demand section, TSN on-demand, of your Bell 5 app and catch the most recent UFC cards. Very, very cool. So that'll be it for this week. Hope you enjoyed the TSN MMA show. We'll be back on Friday. Myself, Joe Valtellini, with a preview of UFC 234. A little bit of glory talk. Why not? And perhaps an interview with Israel Adesanya, which uh, I have scheduled for later today. And I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully connecting with Israel to talk about his big opportunity at UFC 234. All that and more Friday, another edition of the TSN MMA show. So stay tuned for that. For now, thank you for tuning into this show. We'll be back soon with more TSN MMA show goodness. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.